Howie, Duck. We're on air, Duck. Be careful. Triple M's Winter Breakfast. Good morning and welcome along to Winter Breakfast. Three minutes past six on this Tuesday morning. Bit of rain around 8.3 at the moment, heading to a top of 12. Good morning, Ducky boy. Good morning, uh, Howie, Rosie, listeners. What a... Gorgeous morning it is. Well, I'm in not sure I'm giving gorgeous the call at 4 a.m. when the alarm went off and it was raining. Well, but, that's, uh, what, that's what you've got to love about Melbourne. You get all the four seasons. That's exactly right. We were just watching uh, our man Mick Fanning up on the TV at Jeffrey's Bay and you were saying to me, wow, has that bloke got the best life in the world? Well, for you, I was just looking at him saying that is the dream job if you love surfing. And clearly we all know that you love surfing. So that would be just I think it would. Travelling the world, going surfing. And he's taken time off travelling the world to go surfing, surfing. to go surfing, <laughs> which is even more extraordinary. Um, and they normally seem to do well um, socially as well, the surfers. I think oh, it's a pretty yeah. good existence. You it's try it. to tell me they're out there smoking hoochie-coochie, which is probably 15 years ago now, but they're certainly enjoy- – what would it be for you, Duck, if, if, if that would be the perfect life for I'm, me? What would yours I'm, be? I've probably lived it in terms of, you know, I grew up playing AFL footy, so I, I lived uh, that won a premiership, so that mm-hmm. was probably the dream. And now I'm living it now. How are you living it Breakfast now? Breakfast radio. <laughs> who wouldn't, who it's wouldn't a pretty wanna, limited dream, I reckon, bro. Who wouldn't want to get up at 4.40 every morning and come in here and do this and have a chat? And well, that's true. What about you, Rose? If you could live the dream, what would the dream be? Not too dissimilar from this, actually. I'm right. very lucky. I am seriously lucky. I'm going out with a rock star boyfriend oh. and I'm working with people like you. It's oh. just, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm oh. loving life. I'm one of the lucky people. I'm liking the positivity in here this morning, which is absolutely fantastic. A lot to get through on the show as well. Wally Masseur is not too far away from joining us. Bernie went down in five, 10 8 in the fifth. And Nick Kyrgios, well, he got smoked in straight sets by Andy Murray, which was a little bit of a tough uh, evening for him. Rowan White, the doc's coming in to tell us about all the injury stuff. It's a tough one for lot Paddy of, McCartan, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, a lot of injuries, uh, obviously, in the AFL. And also Rio. Yeah, with the also, Zika Ray, a lot virus. Of people, uh, pulling out Zika virus, all sorts of things happening with Rio. Lauren Jackson will be in for a chat as well. She'll be down there tomorrow at 7 30 uh, at Fed Square when they announce the flag bearer, which for she mine has to be Adam Ears. Saw her interview, interview sorry, with the great Bruce McAvaney a couple of nights ago mm. um, on Channel 7. Um, she'll be obviously commentating on the basketball in Rio. She thinks we're a big chance. She thinks that we can actually beat America in the basketball at Rio. Well, I did just see the under-17 girls just won their first ever world title. They beat the Americans in the semi and then maybe well, maybe the Italians. They beat someone, obviously, in the final to go on and win it. So speak, We talk about well, Iceland. Silver we talk about Iceland and their population. I just want to give Australia a little bit of a pat on the back. We talk about how good they were mm. beating England in the soccer. With our population and how we seriously perform in world sport and the Olympics, obviously, a big part of that, it's quite incredible. It is. Considering our population and what we do. And we hang our hat on it as well. We get a lot of pride out of it as well. We do. But as we should. We're good at it. Yeah, my word. And the basketballs are going beautifully. Although news that uh, you're across the basketball news this morning. What's happening in the NBA? Uh, Your man, Kevin Durant. Oh, Durant. Yeah, he's going to the Warriors. Mm, which, what does that do to the bogey? Well, big uh, bogey might be uh, left right out. Have you... What, <laughs> Have you seen the money that's floating around in there oh, at the moment? Like oh. Del Vadova, the fifty million. There was one cat they were talking about five years, one hundred and sixty million. The new television broadcast deal, nine years, twenty nine billion American dollars. Duck, twenty nine billion, which is unbelievable, and uh, you, you just can't get your head around the sort of money. Which is interesting because there were some interesting comments from uh, Joe Montagna, who we will be speaking to this week. I mm. know that he's coming in here. But he said on Triple M on the Sunday rub about the players, they want a percentage of 
you know, the, the money. And if they don't get it, the, a strike is seriously on the cards. And from my understanding, talking to Tim Watson last night and, uh, and his understanding is the AFL are really strong. They're not going to budge on this and the players are, are the same. So for the first time, this is going to get really, really, uh, I don't know about nasty is probably the wrong word, mm. but uh, there's going to be some, some serious stuff go under the table uh, coming up soon with the players and the AFL. Can I just say one thing to you? Don't blow all your good stuff at eight minutes past six. We've still oh. got two hours and fifty well, I'm just minutes to go. What, what <laughs> no, could be I like up? it. Time, duck, for three things you need to know on your way to work. As this lady Nicole Gunn wanders in, like you know, one of those really hot, hot days in Melbourne, and then the sea breeze just floats in, and everyone goes, "Oh, thank you." Oh, I think you. I think you. I think you're doubling up. Did he double up on that no, last week? I, I think so. I, there was, there was the word "sea breeze" used last well, we, week. Without the eye shadow, you're different. No, no, no. Have, Don't, can't you see? It's well, the nudie. Really. It's the nudie. The, the natural colour. I just okay. don't want people to think I'm taking inspiration from my daughter's texture box. <laughs> <laughs> we well, have gone I'm blue and green the last couple of days. I just want to keep it very mutual and, and calm and quiet, but I think it's a bit of an ochre. Oh, an ochre. ochre. Okay. Well, what's, uh, all right, cool breeze. What's three things we need to know? <laughs> oh, Lord. We're still counting votes from the election on Saturday. Oh, well, yeah, actually, yeah. We're, we resume today. There's 3.4 million, a lazy 3.4 million votes still kicking around. Uh, the Liberals are quietly confident they will get the numbers to get up and form government in their own right. The only thing with all this going on is that, Bill Shorten comes out looking like he's prime ministerial, mm. he's determined, he's got swagger, he's got confidence. He's winning the perception he's war, perception, isn't he? And Malcolm Turnbull spent yesterday sitting in his office in Sydney, didn't come down until dinner time. So where is, and he may have been on the phone and doing the numbers, but in terms of perception yeah, being reality, word. who's the mm. one who looks... That's the first thing I thought on the news last night. You know, we, Bill was out there saying that Malcolm should resign. Mm. And the only shot on the news of Malcolm was him getting quickly into a car uh, saying, oh, I've got no comment. It, yeah. Rightly or wrongly, perception is massive mm. in this case. Not that it can change the votes now. The obviously. other thing that I noticed about Bill, uh, he was going for a jog, which mm. is amazing. He was sort of doing an interview after he'd finished his jog. Remember back, John Howard, he used to just power walk. Mm. He did. Now he we've did. got prime ministers that are jogging. In the Wallabies top, Johnny to Howard, that's new, that, that whole kind of, new level. That was well, when that, Bill was seen with the yeah, man yeah, boobs. The little, man boobs uh, and the man boobs. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. And the thing is that they're all sniping now. They're all, they're all coming out, out of the woodwork to have a go at Malcolm. And Peter Credlin was on telly last night saying, you broke the Liberals' heart, which is doing nothing to build the whole image of stability if they're all having a go at each other. So if, if they're uh, independents thinking my vote might be needed mm. and we want a stable government, they're now presented with the infighting which Labor went through years ago with Julia and Kevin and now Bill looking really quite stable. Who would have thunk it this time last week? Mm. Given what Not we discussed all. before about the sport and how important sport is to Australia, Bill has to sharpen up on his sport a little bit because when the State of Origin was on, oh, he said, yeah. uh, good oh. luck to Storm. Yeah, you can He's do. just got to, uh, you know. I mean, we did have a, we did have a few fair <laughs> yeah. players in the Queensland lineup, but really, we're not the centre of the universe. That's <laughs> when the old Rudd still was really struggling yeah. for votes. He went up to a Brisbane game and whacked the lion scarf on. I'm not sure he even knew how to get to the ground, Ducky boy. But anyway, we digress. Uh, Yep. Moving on. So we'll have to wait and see how this is going to play out over the next couple of days. Now, we had uh, news broke yesterday of this massive ice bust, mm. 275 kilos of ice worth around $275 million on the streets, which is such a lot of drugs. In the bottom of a 
container, found, yeah? Found in shipping containers, three shipping containers from China after a tip-off from the Chinese authorities. It was under the floorboards, under some steelwork as well. So it was well and truly well hidden. Allegedly. I have to mm. throw a legend there. So we had eight people charged, including a Malaysian man. Now five are going to appear in court this morning over what is one of the biggest ice busts in Victoria. And they're saying that we've um, we've basically smoked a, an international syndicate here. They've, we've broken it. So awesome. hopefully that'll put the brakes on on it coming into the country. Yeah, the first thing when I see that, and I, again, was watching the news last night, is right, they got a tip off on this one. Otherwise, they wouldn't have ever found it. How many other containers are coming into the country that they don't have a yeah, tip like, off? Yeah, or are still sitting on the docks now because yeah. sometimes they can stay there for months yep. and waiting for a quiet time. So Andrew Rule being about 8.30 to fill us in exactly what, actually quarter past eight to fill us in exactly what occurred there. Excellent. Which should be good. And now finally, we've got a, a health report card that's come in for Victoria, um, Australia and it's bum bow. We're now one of the fattest countries in the world, which we kind of knew behind the US and behind the UK and places like that. Nine in 10 young people are not exercising enough. Um, overweight kids number has doubled. More than a quarter of Aussie children now considered overweight or obese. And one of the scary things, and I know you guys were talking about this last week, the average teenage boy is now consuming 23 teaspoons of sugar every day. 23 yeah. teaspoons. 23 teaspoons oh, of don't sugar Don't get me started on this one. Yeah, it's the, you know what, phones, computers, TVs. 23 teaspoons. 23 teaspoons of sugar. Coming in drinks and coming in whatever, but 23 teaspoons. And I know you went off to, uh, sugar as yeah. well, so, and you're feeling fantastic. Mm. But there you go, teenage boys, oh, particularly. I think, I think an average teaspoon uh, has about three grams of sugar on it. So have a look on the back of the Coke, everyone out there that you're about to drink for breakfast, etc. Divide the number of sugar by three and you'll be frightened. Mm. You'll be like, it'd be like having 18 teaspoons in your cup of coffee in the, the morning. But it's the exercise as well, which, yeah. which uh, Nicole just said before. They, you just don't see, there was a day where you'd drive down the, the streets. And I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about country towns now, mm. so not just... Big cities like Melbourne, but country towns, you go home to Wagga, you'd be, there'd be kids in the street kicking the footy, they'd be running around the park. You go there now, and those parks and those streets, they're, they're, there are no kids running around. We might discuss this later, Duck, because it's, um, yeah, it's a, a one close to both of our hearts. Gunners, thank you very much. My pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, Nick Kyrgios uh, went down in straight sets to Andy Murray. We're about to hear from Wally Masua. I'll play a couple of bits of audio. The first one, Duck, uh, before we speak to Wally, uh, just Nick's thoughts on the game in general. It was a good first set. The rest of the match was pretty pathetic. You know, I was really comfortable out there the first set. I thought I was playing some really good tennis. I believe that I could win the match and then as soon as I lost the first set, I think, you know, I just lost belief. Um, you know, obviously, felt like a mountain to climb after losing the first. And he was playing, he played pretty well as well. I don't think he missed too many balls either. You know, when things get tough, I'm just a little bit soft. I mean, it's just, I mean, I've got experience, but it just ultimately comes down to just laying it all out there and just competing for a long time. And I didn't do that today at all. Pretty reflective. That is, no, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. That's saying, you know, he lost the first set. He basically knew he was done. Mm. Um, and then saying, you know, he, he basically gave up. I don't think it's saying he gave up. I, I think he recognises that he's got flaws in his game and his mental approach that he needs to try and fix. Wow. If he's saying that, if he's saying that and he's saying it publicly, he he's way, way off where I thought he was just after listening to those comments. The mental side of the yep. game? Well, that's what it is. Sport is mental. We'll speak to Wally about that next. I'll also play some audio on his thoughts on whether he loves the game or not.
Fox Sports delivering round the clock Wimbledon coverage on a dedicated channel, including a 30-minute preview show, The Daily Serve, hosted by Wally Masur alongside Adam Peacock, 8th o'clock every night on Fox Sports 5.05. Unfortunately, both Kyrgios and Tommy are out of Wimbledon. Wally is on the line. Good evening to you, Wally. Tough night for the two Aussie boys last night. Gee, Bernie, 10-8 in the fifth. Yeah, look, the guy, it's funny, isn't it? Because everyone said, how, you know, how do you think Bernie will go? And I, I thought he'd win. He played really well in the round prior. But the guy that he played, he's 22 years old. He's French. He's sort of having his breakout year this year. And you you base everything on past performances. And then this kid comes out and just lights it up. You know, he's obviously getting better. And he played the match of his life. Bernie really dug in. He started off a bit nervously. I think, Bernie, there was a lot to lose. And he uh, started slowly. That gave the kid a bit of belief. But, yeah, this kid's good. Keep an eye out for him. Lucas Pui, he can really play. Now, Wally, uh, Kyrgios and his uh, post-match uh, press conference. And I don't think I've ever heard a sports person at anywhere near the top of their game that would have a defeatist attitude uh, or make the comments that he's made. I haven't heard those sort of comments for a long time. It was interesting, I suppose. Look, in some respects, uh, you know, it was quite candid. Um I guess a lot of sportsmen go into press conferences and they're pretty good, I guess, at just playing with the media to a degree. So I thought it was quite candid. But Nick, look, I know he loves the game. I mean, you can't be as good as he is without hitting a lot of balls and going through the journey. And I think he was pretty deflated because Murray was way too good. Uh, I think Nick thought it would be a much closer contest. And I think this is a bit of a punctuation mark for Nick in his career. He's been without a coach now for over a year. And I think he's probably just got to have a look at the way that he's set up and say, OK, what do I need to do to go to the next level? Because, you know, he's around 15 in the world. Um, but the difference between 15 and 5 mm. is a big jump. So he's sort of consolidated, consolidated at 15. Now I think he's got to take the next step. Let's hear from a reflective Nick Kyrgios on his thoughts on tennis and his love of the game. Yeah, you know, I've, I've previously said that you know, I, don't, I don't love the sport. Um, but, you know, I don't really know what else to do without it. So, you know, I obviously like playing the game. Um, it's a massive part of my life. But, you know, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really know. One week I'm pretty motivated to, to train and play. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting out there. And one week I'll just not do anything. And I don't really know a coach out there that would be pretty, pretty down for that one. Like, to be honest, I woke up this morning and I played computer games. For instance, is that the greatest preparation? I don't know, but it was fun. Well, Wally, that's uh, that's the first time I'm hearing those comments as well. It it is quite. I, I totally agree with your comments a second ago. He definitely needs a coach, or he needs he needs some motivation. And if and if he, I guess, if he thinks about the game that way, and then and now he's come out basically and said, you know, I lose the first set, and you know, it was going to be an uphill battle. He's not up for the fight. You're so right. He's, uh, 15 might be flattering for this young man. Well, 15, he, he's there on ability. And look, you know, he's, he's hit a lot of balls and he's, he is an exceptional talent. Um, but I, I, I just know, and look, it, there's no blueprint for success. Um, there's just a lot of hard work ahead of him. Uh, there's a big journey ahead of him. And if you cast your mind back to Federer, Nadal, well, Nadal's a bit of an exception. He was a bit of a beast at 17, 18. Um, Murray certainly wasn't the finished product at 21. I think Nick is on a journey, and I'm not just talking about in tennis, but in life. And his world changed dramatically a couple of years ago when he beat Rafa and the spotlight was on him. I don't think he enjoyed that spotlight, which is a bit of a 
paradox, really, because he seems like he is a bit of an entertainer, but yet he doesn't like too many eyes upon him. So I just think it's a question of just navigating um, his personal life, being happy, really defining what he wants out of the game. And everyone can have different motivations. Some people might just love the competitive nature of the game. Some people might play for the money. Some people for the titles or for a moment in history. Whatever it is, just define what that is. Set some goals and, um, I guess, do the boring things. Um, the, the little things that will turn him into a great player and maximise his potential. Because I still believe he is a potential Grand Slam winner. I'm with you, Wally. We appreciate your time. Loving your work on Fox Sports 505. It's getting to the pointy end now, so enjoy it from here on in as you get stuck into the second week. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Great to speak to Wally Masua. Overnight sport not too far away. We will continue this discussion, Dark. It is a, it is a fascinating discussion because I, I honestly believe that to get to the absolute top of any sport, it's 90% above the shoulders and clearly. So you can have all the talent in the world. If you're not right upstairs, then you won't get anywhere near the top. Some interesting stuff overnight, especially related to the footy duck. Fremantle coach Ross Lyon admits if his club doesn't create a firm plan for the future and have the group fully buy into it, stars like Nat Fife could leave. Lyon's Dockers suffered their worst drop from season to season in VFL AFL history, collapsing, collapsing from a 9-0 start and minor premiership in 2015 to a 0-10 start and likely bottom four finish in 2016. Here's Ross Lyon. If Nathan believes in that plan and he sees success coming his way, He'll be here, I've got no doubt. But if he doesn't believe in the plan and we don't bring him along, he'd be a chance to leave. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, interesting comments. I'm always fascinated and we don't hear enough from Ross Lyon. We sat with him on the boundary a couple of weeks ago um, and asked him my usual one question. Then the boys chatted with him for 20 minutes and every point he made was relevant. It was interesting. He's good, isn't he? straight down the line. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's good. And Nat Fife is is a little bit of a different cat in that he's, um, I wouldn't say... uh, he carries himself like an American um, mm. sports star. With the know? inner confidence? With that, yeah, he does. He does. And I think he looks at everything very uh, pragmatically. Is that a, is that a, uh, is pragmatically? that the right description? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Only and one vowel out. Yeah. That was not okay, bad. Okay, thank you. He, so he really does, he, he you know, really analyzes approach. He's got, yeah, a little bit like Chris Judd, but he's, he's trying to, uh, I, I think he would look at, um, Fremantle like that. I think if he thought that they were going in the wrong direction. So are we going would... to this more, this business approach? Absolutely. That Matty Delavadova was telling Absolutely. us about the but other I, day. But I do think that, uh, I do think that Nat Fife will be at Fremantle for a long time. Okay. Paddy McCartan has been ruled out of this week's clash with the Bombers at Etihad Stadium after suffering his third concussion in as many months in the weekend's loss to the Suns. Despite this and the caution surrounding head knocks, McCartan is confident he'll play again this year. Feeling pretty good, so um, as I said, get a few medical opinions and um, yeah, should be good. Any confident you'll play again this season? Yeah, definitely. Doc White will join us after 7 o'clock to talk all things medicine in football. Jamie Cox was also uh, on the news last night from St Kilda Footy Club, the former cricketer, saying, listen, don't get too emotionally involved in this. We've got the medical people involved. They know what they're doing and I completely agree with that and I can understand that statement because as you see a young bloke that gets knocked out three times, your immediate impression knowing nothing about medicine is oh gee but they should just give him a spell no well we know that uh we know that he passed all the tests we know that um and everyone you've got to treat everyone individually it's as simple as that and this young man yes that that has occurred and yes they are being uh softly softly approached with him as they should so he'll miss a week or two but he needs to play footy as well so there's no point just saying okay we're going to give him eight weeks off and then the first round next next year he, he you know, gets a knock and goes out. That That's not what he needs. And 
like I said, he's he's gone off apparently past all the tests, could have come back on, and they're taking the real conservative conservative approach with him, which is which is exactly what uh, I guess a lot of doctors are doing now. The other side of the equation, as I said, I have no medical understanding, and Doc White will explain to us. Imagine if he was your son in this situation. It was Ella, and she was playing netball, and at 20 she'd been concussed three times in the season. What would you want to happen to her? Well, you're guided by the doctors. Yeah. That's yeah, it's a good point. It's a really, and that's what Jamie Cox was saying, and that's sort of why I said that at the start. Big news in basketball: a LeBron-style letter from Kevin Durant. Well, it could have an effect on Andrew Bogut's time at the Warriors, with the former NBA champs reportedly shopping Bogut around to other clubs to make room for the former MVP. Uh, Durant announced his intentions to leave Oklahoma City in a letter. I'll just read you the first. I love the Americans. This is the first paragraph of the letter, entitled "My Next Chapter." This has been by far the most challenging few weeks in my professional life, says Durant. I understand cognitively that I was facing a crossroads in my evolution as a player and as a man, and that it came with exceptionally difficult choices. What I truly didn't understand, however, was the range of emotions I would feel during this process. He goes on to explain why he's making this decision. Hasn't gone over that well with some people. Uh, renowned uh, basketball commentator Stephen A. Smith had this to say. Well, I'm viewing it as the weakest move I've ever seen from a superstar. They were up 3-1 in the Western Conference Finals. Not one, not two, but three times he failed. And you depart for the team that beat you? I think it's incredibly weak. And I don't want to hear any comparisons to that of LeBron James when LeBron James left Cleveland for South Beach. When LeBron left Cleveland, it was LeBron James and a bunch of no-names. I just view it as him jumping on the bandwagon, and I think it's the weakest move I've ever seen by a superstar, plain and simple. Pretty strong. Yeah, well, that's... And that, once again, that's a difference also in America compared to here. You make those comments here and that is just massive, yep. massive news. They, just can, another. they just say what they want. And the, and players like Durant, LeBron, they say what they want and it just sort of gets not swept under the carpet, mm. but it's just sort of common. Can I, can I just say about the Americans, if you and I got uh, moved in an aeroplane today and had to get a radio show up in America, we would not have a hope because they are so good over there, Ducky Boy. Yeah. Their media commentators, we get guys on Dead Set Legends, they're the beat writers, and they come on and they're all they're Eddie Maguire-esque. They can talk. They're absolutely brilliant. Uh, great news for Greg Charmer, two-time Australian PGA champion, has notched an emotional maiden PGA Tour victory at the Barracuda Championship in Nevada. Got an eagle on the 72nd hole. 385 starts in America before he had his maiden win. He got a little bit emotional afterwards. I mean, I've been out on the web.com and I've made about $25,000. And I think I've had one top 10. So, um, but I, I, just, I just thought, you know, in golf, you've always got to think something good's around the corner. And I, I thought my game was close. Um, and I got to thank um, uh, Neil Smith and uh, John Sinclair, my coach, and uh, all my family. Good on Greg Charmy. Good on him. Yeah. Good you, on him. Greg Charmy, you know his nickname? Charmy? Snake. True story. Snake, Snake Charmers. No, true story that one, Rosie. He's a, he's a lovely chap. Duck, we were just talking about Snake Charmers, Greg Charmers winning mm -hmm. his first uh, golf tournament. And I've got a rather tenuous link that I took my four-year-old, the big penguin, my six-year-old, the pickle, and uh, Mrs. Howie, who you know well, Erica, the E-bomb, mm -hmm. to putt-putt yesterday. And it was the first time the big penguin had played putt-putt. Down your way? Uh, yeah, down uh, just out of uh, Ocean Grove. 
there. Uh, very nice setup down there. 40 bucks for four tricky, people to play uh, putt-putt these days. Tricky uh, sort of course. Well, I had, had those ones where you could go up uh, tubes and get whizzed around waterfalls. And The big penguin loved it. He, he, his only experience at golf, though, is at the driving range or in the front yard where you have the full swing. So I had, it took him about nine holes till he realized you had to putt rather than go the full swing. <laughs> but the real surprise packet, now you know the beautiful Mrs. Howie, Erica. Yes. How, how would you describe her, Duck? Uh, petite. Petite. Gorgeous. Yes. Polite. Uh, rather sort of relaxed, low yes, key. Yes. Got on the mini golf course yesterday. Oh, the uh, came well, we out. got to the first hole and uh, <laughs> she got a three, and I had a putt for a three and missed it, just a little tiddler for a four. And she looks at me and straight away, oh, shame about that. And I thought, oh, <laughs> well, hang on. What's coming out here? We get to about the fifth hole, and there's a there's a cocky on the course, which the big penguin loved because he would say hello, and the penguin <laughs> and the cocky would say hello, hello, and he had a 15 minute hello conversation. <laughs> Well, Erica missed a couple of putts on the fifth, yep. and I'm a bit concerned that the cocky will have picked up what she was saying, Duck. Oh, really? <laughs> Dropping the bomb oh. everywhere. The next time a kid might come through, the cocky won't be saying hello. Oh, you hadn't seen that oh, uh, well, side had, of it. Not this side. We get to about the 14th. This is where it really... Where, where, what was the score at the 14th? Well, I was probably a couple of shots in front of her. <laughs> um, and, uh, well, she went all John Daly on me. And uh, got about a seven. I counted at least seven yeah. shots. And I said, what did you get? She looked at me straight in the eye of four. <laughs> Started blatantly <laughs> cheating, duck. Oh, wow. So wow. I'm, I'm, I've, only, I've done this before seven o'clock because she said, there's no way you can talk about this on radio and she won't be up yet. But yes, she started cheating <laughs> do you, at mini golf. Do you follow uh, The Simpsons at all? A little bit. Yeah. You know, uh, Marge and Homer. That's yes. where uh, little Bart was <laughs> conceived in the windmill. At the mini-golf. Mini <laughs> well, I can tell you, the way Erica was yesterday, there was no was conceiving no... <laughs> of anything, my friend. Real frosty oh, on the way home fun. it was. Uh, so get yourself uh, 40 bucks, though. Is that is that typical? I don't know. It oh, used to cost me two bucks. But... You're, you're, don't be tight. Okay. Right? No, I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying, is that typical? No. Mm. Well, you're, you're, that's, that's family fun for okay. 40 bucks. Okay. You, okay. We've got good. a couple of lollipops around yeah. as well. <laughs> We're following some news this morning. I just read you some of Kevin Durant, the OKC player's yep. letter, who's announced he is off in the world of NBA duck to the Golden State Warriors and the effect that may have on Andrew Bogut. Uh, Rumours and reports now are coming through on ESPN that Andrew Bogut has or will sign with the Mavericks, which is really, really big news. No talk about what amount of money uh, could or wouldn't be involved yet. And the world of Twitter has gone into meltdown, as you would expect. These are unconfirmed reports saying that moments before the rest of the world found out that Kevin Durant was signing with the Warriors, Andrew Bogut dropped a hint of what was to come. Astute Twitter users noticed that overnight he'd stripped his Twitter page, this is Bogut, of references to the Warriors. His bio profile picture and banner photos were all altered to remove the Warriors. This could be because he's excited about the Olympics coming up, etc. But uh, you know the way the world works these days. Yes, yes. Well, you know what? At the end of the day, that, that, that world over there is completely different. And you go to where... Uh well, sometimes you don't you don't get a choice, but the amount of money that he is on, he's on big money at the uh, at mm. the Warriors. He's on big money, so it'll be interesting to see what he gets to go. It, it fascinates me that you can be so quickly your life can be just picked up and deposited. Uh, you, you talk to Ben Graham about the NFL. Oh, he played it, in three three teams in one year, didn't exactly, he? Exactly, ended then up at a Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. But I mean, imagine your life as a, as a family, if you, uh, I know Andrew doesn't have children, etc. but even that, you, you're nicely settled, you've just come out of a, a, a team that's played in, in the NBA Finals, then bang, right, you're off to Dallas, bang, you're off here, bang, <laughs> you're off there. Now, obviously the 12 million makes the bang not too bad, but uh, it's, a, it's a different world, isn't Con- it? Contracts are not contracts. No. 
anymore. No, no. They, they're contracts for the team, but they're never contracts for the athletes right. themselves. Mm. Nick Kyrgios went down to yep. Andy Murray overnight, 7-5. So it was a good battle in the first, 6-1 in the second, 6-4 in the third. We're going to now play his comments about his thoughts on the match and his thoughts on tennis in general. They're very, very raw, and remember, they're straight after his loss. It was a good first set. The rest of the match was pretty pathetic. You know, I was really comfortable out there the first set. I thought I was playing some really good tennis. I believe that I could win the match, and then as soon as I lost the first set, I think, you know, I just lost belief. Um, you know, obviously, felt like a mountain to climb after losing the first. And he was playing, he played pretty well as well. I don't think he missed too many balls either. You know, when things get tough, I'm just a little bit soft. I mean, it's just, I mean, I've got experience, but it just ultimately comes down to just laying it all out there and just competing for a long time, and I didn't do that today at all. You know, I've, I've previously said that, you know, I don't, I don't love the sport, um, but, you know, I don't really know what else to do without it. So, you know, I, I obviously like playing the game. Um, it's a massive part of my life, but, you know, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't really know. One week I'm pretty motivated to, to train and play and you know I'm really looking forward to getting out there one week I'll just not do anything. And I don't really know a coach out there that'd be pretty pretty down for that one. Like to be honest, I woke up this morning and I played computer games. For instance, is that the greatest preparation? I don't know. But it was fun. It was fun. Interesting comments, to put it mildly. Very open and pretty raw press conference. Yeah, very open, very raw. A real defeatist, excuse-making type press conference for mine. What are you talking about? Well, exactly that. He says he was pathetic. He said he lost belief. He said after he lost the first set, it was a big mountain to climb. Um, After the first set, he said he was soft. Doesn't love it, likes it, but tennis is a massive part of my life. There's contradictions all the way through it. And I know he's a young man and I know he's still learning how to deal with the media and, and, and things to say, but... All of that there to me is a defeatist and excuse-making attitude and that's why he's 15 in the world and he'll never, I don't think, and I know that we talk about potential and everything else and, and, and I know they're just words and I, and I like him, Howie. I'm like you. I like the characters and, mm. and everything else. But, but for me, I've, anyone, you couldn't pick anyone that's gone to the top of their sport that would, would speak like that at any stage of their career. And I'm talking from when they first started to now. And, and, and you know, well, there, there were contradictions there. You know, I don't love it. I like it, you know, I, but it's a massive part of my life. And I, I, I didn't like any, any part of that uh, whole process. How about I put it to you? For, that- a, for a sports person. Because it, it's above the shoulders. And now whenever a player is playing Nick Kyrgios, they say, you know what, get him in the first set and you've got him. And, oh. and, and clearly, he may have been beaten before he even started in that particular game. I know that he's sort of mates with Murray. Murray stuck up for him in the media beforehand and said that the media were, mm. were picking on him. Um, and, you know, Murray's had a good record against him and all those sorts of things. But, you know, I, 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 just, didn't, I just didn't like it. I see. As a has-been sports person that was lucky enough to, to win a premiership, so reach the top of sport, you don't, you, you never think like that. I see it completely, absolutely, completely differently. I see it as a 21-year-old kid that goes into this game with tremendous hope and tremendous belief that he can go and beat Andy Murray. He plays a good first set, and then he gets smoked 6-1 in the second, and he looks at it that, wow, mid-game, I'm nowhere near as good as I thought I was. I'm nowhere near at the level that I thought I was. I genuinely thought I could come out here and beat this bloke today. So two minutes after this, 
game finishes, I go into a press conference and I'm still thinking with the fact, wow, I, I thought I was a genuine chance here today. I've got smoked. I've got so much work to do. And he was blatantly open. He was honest. He was raw. The whole love of tennis thing. You read Agassi's book, and Agassi goes on time and time again how he hated tennis, etc., etc. I'm not reading too much into that. I'm reading as a 21-year-old who's trying to find his way in life. Does he want to make tennis his entire life? He's got other things going on. He's got more money than he ever has to worry about. Hang on. He's got beaten on a day where he thought he had a really good opportunity, and he's just really, really flat about it. You say that, and then he says that he played Nintendo before the game, and he never really thought that you know the preparation was never there. But but so do we there, know there, he there could are, have played Nintendo for the previous four are, wins? We are, don't know. There are contradictions right through what he said. There all, are, all but he's I'm twenty-one. Saying, duck. I didn't. I, Howie, I know that he's twenty-one. I'm just saying that even even if he had any of those sorts. To, to reach number one, to reach the top of your sport, any all of those things that he said there, I've never heard anyone. And, and I've read Agassiz's book as well. He didn't say those types of things. Yes, he didn't have a love of tennis. Yes, his dad pushed him he into tennis. He was racked by self-doubt yeah, though, Agassiz. Yeah, yeah, but not none of those type of comments. None of those. That's a defeatist excuse-making attitude for me. And I know he's only 21 and he'll learn from it. But for me, while ever he's even remotely thinking that way or making comments like that, he's never going to go. He's never okay. going. And you know what? He might fl- he might fluke a final one day. But I, I tell you now, he goes in against a player that that prepares clearly properly and and really does believe, um, and and doesn't have that defeatist attitude. If I lose a first set, I knew that I was, I was gone. It's a big mountain to climb. Um, I, I'm soft. You know, even telling people you're soft. Even if you are soft, but, but you don't not, tell people you're But yourself. he's just—I think that's him admitting that I've got. So I look at it the other way. I look at it as him saying I'm soft, as in I really need to improve that area of my game. I've realised this. I, I look at it as that he's picked out a weakness that he thinks he can work he's on. Picked out a weakness, but he doesn't want to work on it because he doesn't know he loves tennis. He just likes it, but it's a massive part of his life. Neither is a tennis expert. Okay, I'll ask you straight out. Do you think Nick Kyrgios will ever win a Grand Slam tennis tournament? Not off the back of that. I reckon he will, and I reckon he wins several times, multiple times. Um, and I'd like to continue this discussion, but you've just opened your toasted sandwich, and it smells so freaking good, <laughs> ducky boy, that I have lost my entire train of thought. Rowan White's not far oh, away. Yeah, by the way, just just on that, mm. I hope he does. I know. I, I really know, hope he does. I'm, not, I'm a, I'm a I fan. I understand I'm, that. And, I, and you know what? I, 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 just, I just didn't like the comments that he was, you know, and, and like I said, it just comes across as really, really weak. And Do- I know he's only 21. <sighs> media, ducky boy. I think sometimes we in the media, and I include you and I in that, take ourselves a little bit seriously. Uh, and I've always... Speak for yourself. Okay. Well, I, I've always found the banners in the newspaper, we told you first. Herald Sun reports story, Age reports story, 7.52 p.m. yesterday, as really crass and self-indulgent. And, and one of the... One self-indulgent, One of the biggest boy. things that... Uh, media outlets I've, I've noticed in the last couple of years is is giving credit where credit's due. So if you, if we say it here on Triple M and someone else reported it, was said on Triple M, same mm-hmm. as if it was on, I'm happy to say, 3RW or it was on Channel 7 Fox or it was Sports, on Channel 9, Fox Sports, whatever it may be, that you give credit for that. Now, there are a lot of media journos that don't do that. Don't credit. They don't credit, which gets up the nose of a lot of other... Journos. But the average punter on the street 
cares not about credits. The average punter on the street cares not that Johnny but Ralph broke a story but if, but if, at six fifty four p.m. If he's writing a massive story and he's taking quotes from, say, Spud. Yep. on Triple M, then you don't think that he should credit that he heard it from Spud on Triple M? Oh, not really. Like, well, who cares? That, that's sort of my point here. And this leads us to, to well, this. Well, clearly people do. Well, no, people in the media do. Barry buying his paper in Brunswick doesn't care where the story came from or what time it came from. He's just interested in the story, which leads me to, a well, a little tete-a-tete on... Uh, Twitter yesterday, Tom Brown, seven. Tom Brown, Channel 7 reporter, does a wonderful job. I know, Tom. Yeah, good man, does a wonderful job. He tweeted yesterday, uh, no accountability. I was interviewing McCartan when Fox, as in Fox Sports, jumps in halfway through and then run first of Fox by virtue of time on air. So then Fox have used the grab from Tom's interview and said they're the first ones to have it. Julian DeStoop, another very nice reporter at Fox Sports, comebacks at Tom Brown 7. I reckon you should remove this tweet, Tom, given at Drew Jones Fox, another reporter, was there since early this morning. Poor form, mate. Tom Brown comes back. Their reporter didn't even ask him a question. We move on. I think we need to move on. (laughs) I reckon these blokes, and I know it's a very competitive industry, and it's one that I haven't ever been involved in, the breaking stories. Um, and I know it's competitive, but do, do we really care? Well, clearly well, clearly they care. That's yeah, but the average li- bloke doesn't li- care. But that's their livelihood. Mm. That's their job. If they sit out there for eight hours to get, you know, an exclusive chat with a particular, you know, a, a big story – then they should be credited with it. Well, don't even start me on the word exclusive. You watch the news these days and some of the exclusives. Now, I think exclusive is that Donald Trump's going to be named president, not that Nathan Buckley's hamstring is going to cost him another half a week. That's my version of the view, exclusive. Anyway, I just think think we need to wind back on this a touch. The next man that's wandered into the studio, I spend a lot of time with at the football. We sit there, we talk about his uh, investment planning situation. We talk about the UFL, the unlikely football league. Players <laughs> were amazed that actually play the game with some unusual physical characteristics. He's an intelligent man and he's got me two-thirds of the way through my medical degree and I've never been to medical school. There you go. Dr. Ron White joins us. Hello, Doc. Doc. Howie, good to be here. Thanks for that introduction. Very nice. Wonderful to have you in here. I was explaining to Duck the other day, the UFL, and uh, players that uh, Dane Swan doesn't look like a footballer is fantastic. Stevie J doesn't look like a footballer. Uh, Max Gorn is one of your favourites that uh, once you thought should be he, captain in the unlikely leadership footballer. Group, no <laughs> doubt. He's in the leadership he, group. He's right up there. In fact, yourself, you don't look like a footballer. In fact, you've got a couple hundred games under your belt as well. Yeah, well, uh, Doc will actually tell you, unbeknownst to a lot of people, Doc has had a possession in a game of VFL football. Really? I have, Doc. I know. Yeah. It's, uh, look, uh, we can't well, you, compare. Well, but... you do look like a footballer, though, Doc. <laughs> Unlike, tell tell, uh, tell us about your one stack you got, Doc. I got one stack, and it was uh, Bobby Jones. You may remember Bobby Jones, yeah, yeah, Indigenous Ruckman, who yep. uh, played with us. Great fella. Really good bloke. And uh, he did his ACL, unfortunately. He went down in the middle of the field at uh, uh, VFL Park, as it was in those days. I ran out. We uh, had to assess him. Uh, the play came back, the ball came back after a goal, the ball was bounced, and of course, the officials, including the club doctor, were considered a player, and we had too many people in the square. So, Duck, I've given one free kick away in <laughs> AFL football. Oh, and, and I'm going to speak to Rowan Connolly, because I should appear in his book of AFL stats. Yeah. That's it. Now, Doc, Paddy McCartan, uh, we, we were having a discussion earlier on that we needed a, mes- uh, a medical idea about this, because Jamie Cox from the Saints, he, he, he was really clear yesterday, and he made a good point, saying that we shouldn't speculate 
not knowing about the Paddy McCartan situation because you want to say, not knowing about it, wow, they should just give this bloke a nice, decent spell so he can get himself right. But the medical side of it, how does all this work, Doc? Because there's so much more focus now on concussion, rightly so. You're right, Howie. And not only do we talk about concussion being an evolving injury, we also talk about the actual diagnosis being an evolving injury. And in fact, the cure and the treatment of this, we're sort of working our way through. It wasn't that long ago, Doc, that we remember five, six years ago. Yep. Players would get concussed. 20 mm. minutes, they'd be back out playing again. Jordan Lewis against the Bulldogs. Perfect example. The pendulum has swung exactly the opposite way. And what we're finding now is that uh, the club doctors, the medicos, are having to get consultation with the real experts. These are the guys, Paul McCrory and so forth uh, from the Flory Institute. These are the guys who are world leaders in this sort of work. And it's not a hamstring injury. It's not a quad injury, which we know is predictable. What is a hamstring injury for one player? Usually you can say it will be the same for another player. Concussion is not the same. It's different for each individual. It should be assessed as such. And of course, why the doctors are being so cautious is because they're wanting to make sure the long-term problems, the sequelae, as we call it, are minimised. So it's sort of out of the club's hand. It's sort of a little bit out of the club doctor's hands. It's now in the specialist arena, and we've got to wait for that assessment to take place. Are they oh. being, Are they being? has it swung too far the other way now? Are they being too conservative? Because young McCartan, and, and just this is off information that we uh, spoke about on Talking Footy last night, mm. all of his tests have come back apparently absolutely normal. The Knock yep. didn't seem to be a massive knock past all the tests. They said, no, nope, you're not coming back on and probably won't play this week. He's not People playing this week. He's definitely not playing, not playing de- week. definitely not playing this week. So has it swung too far the other way? Well, I don't think it can swing too far the other way, Doug. I think yeah. in some respects we've got to say, and the, the physical testing we do, it, look, with the highest respect, is rather crude. You know, with the, the scat testing and so forth checks memory, what we call cognition, balance, and a few things, which is fairly gross motor skills. But a concussion really affects the molecular state of the brain. It goes right down. A lot of the scanning they do, these uh, fancy scanners out at the Flory Institute, are actually looking at the chemical composition of the brain, and they see changes in that. And what is the concern is that there is some findings to suggest that these changes become chronic. And that's why we talk about this condition called CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So although wow. Paddy might be right to come back next week, we're not sure what he's going to be like next year, next decade, mm. as he gets old, because Do- there is a long-term issue here. S- say, uh, in a perfect world, say when you're 100% of the brain and what it's all about. What what percentage do you reckon we actually understand at this point in modern medicine about the brain and the way it functions and the adverse effects, knocks, et cetera, can have on it? Well, I think uh, some doctors claim that we only use 5% oh, of our I, brain. I was, I was about to ask you that that uh, exact question. How much Sorry. of our brain do we use? Some of us less than well, others, Howie. Correct. <laughs> and I think that's Duck. where modern medicine sits in the understanding of right. the brain. This is a real complex so organ. We're just scratching the surface of yeah. our understanding. Absolutely. Absolutely correct, Howie. And I think uh, to that end, we cannot undertreat or overtreat concussion. Yeah, right. On to, a, uh, on to another story, and this is, uh, this is sort of from left field. Bob Murphy, there's talk that he's way ahead of where he should be, Howie. Mm. Can he come back this year, in your opinion, Doc? I mean, I think uh, Tony Libertore, he's been the quickest. 14? Right? Yeah, about 14 weeks. Yes. Um, is it a possibility? Anything's a possibility. I go back to, in fact, Ricky Nixon, who we looked after with his uh, cruciate injury. He was right to go after five months. That was a traditional cruciate, just like Bob's. It is possible for certain players, particularly if they're of a body type, Howie, not dissimilar to yourself. Rangy. Yeah, you're not, too, not too heavy. Correct. Yeah. And Bob's well, in me. that category. And I understand he's running. 
he is doing significant weight bearing. He's doing uh, significant side to side work. He is going well now. Knowing Bob, who knows? He could be back. Mm. I, I I wouldn't underestimate him. And the most important thing is that he's probably going, not going to risk the cruise ship because we do know that the cruise ship, which is made up of collagen, that's the fibre, yep. that at six months it's mature and right to go. So any point after six months, technically. Anybody can come back from an ACL if the rest of their knee and uh, body is conditioned. Uh, one of the Hawks that, came back. That would back. be a massive story. It would be. One of the Hawks came back. Alex Woodward from three knee recos in the VFL on the weekend. Great news. First yeah. came back after one year. And uh, look, sad uh, news for Kieran Byrne from the Blues. Yeah. Who we did know suffer that right uh, yeah. ACL. But look, generally speaking, ACLs, we're the capital of ACLs, Duck. You know yeah. that? Yep. Uh, we normally run about 20 to 22 new ACLs every year. At the moment, we're running about 9 or 10 when I just had a look, quick look at the stats. So good news in that respect that uh, on a yearly average, we're uh, under the, uh, the numbers. Now, Doc, you need to stick around with us. Uh, hopefully, he's not charging his usual hourly rate because this is going to cost us an absolute fortune. <laughs> but stick around because we need to talk about the Zika virus and Usain Bolt's hamstring. I believe you've been onto some people. Like you. Have you spoke to Usain yet or was that later on today? No, but I, uh, I wanted to try to get onto uh, your uh, favourite, uh, Professor Hans Muller-Wolfart <laughs> from uh, Munich. Uh, he's which, the, uh, he, the man that injects the blood. He, he's not dissimilar to yourself, How We might talk about that a bit later yeah, too. that's old Dr. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart's brother, I think, <laughs> over there. Dr. Rowan White uh, is still with us. Doc, Usain Bolt, I want to run you through a timeline. About five days ago, had problems. A grade one tear reported of a hamstring in the Jamaican trials. 42 days it is till the finals in the athletics in Rio. The athletics starts on August 12. Now, to get his way through to the Olympics with an exemption, he needs to compete at the anniversary games in London on the 22nd of July. How's he going to go? He'll be there, Howie. Because uh, it's interesting when you look at his history. He has had uh, a number of hamstring issues over the years. It goes right back to 2004 when he was just a teenager. And I think he learned from that episode because he tried to push through this hamstring soreness at that time and didn't even qualify for the final. And I think that really hurt him. In every Olympic since, in the lead-up, there has been an issue. Most recently uh, in London, he, he pulled out from a similar yep. trials in Jamaica and was given that medical exemption. And I think the same thing's happening here. And we were just talking uh, before about the Olympics and uh, how important it is for an athlete because this is the pinnacle, you know, this is yeah. it. All your preparation, particularly for the 12th. So finally final, tuned, aren't they, to that, to that, for that moment? It's not like a grand final when we talk about all players have to be 100% fit duck because we no, know that they're not. They're not, yep. But for the Olympics, it has to be. And uh, for you saying, I think what he's got into his uh, mind is, I've got a little bit of soreness. I've got to get this right. I'm four weeks away. I've got to get up for those trials in London, which I think he will get. And most importantly, he's going to see uh, Professor Wolfhart, uh, mm. who has been a constant uh, professor, doctor by his side and uh, looking after him with the calf blood technique to treat hamstring and soft tissue injuries. The activigen? Activigen, that's there right. A-C-T-I-V-O-G-E. Just a couple of vowels out. Some of the Aussie boys had it. Thank you. Some of the AFL boys had it. Bono had it after he fell on the stage. He went and saw Dr. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Tiger Woods, too. Yeah, Tiger went and saw him as well. We're not sure on what aspect of golf would uh, require some activity, but... uh, Zika. Zika. Uh, A lot of athletes in, how shall I say it, not the pinnacle of their sports style operators have chosen to withdraw from the Olympics due to the Zika virus. And I thought, sitting with you at the footy, this had popped up in the last year, but you explained to me quite differently. Look, uh, it's interesting. I know that there has been a number of... uh, 
athletes. I wouldn't I, look. It's it's disingenuous for me to say that they're fringe sports, but particularly golf. You know, Jason Day. We. Yes. I just wonder if Zika was uh, threatening Augusta if we would have seen the same uh, exit. That's uh, a very strategy. sharp I, point. <laughs> very, I, I that, reckon, that's a good argument as I've heard for the whole requirement yet. Because I, I think uh, when it comes down to it, the true athletes who are really wanting to make uh, their mark at the uh, Olympic, they're not concerned about this. No. It's all about. Uh, the, the the sport that they uh, love. Now, look, Zika's interesting. Uh, we, again, it's a bit of a perfect storm for poor old Rio. You know, not only are they running out of money, not only are there, you know, anecdotal evidence of increased crime, but uh, now the Zika virus is uh, called a pandemic. So a pandemic is a disease that affects a whole country. And uh, what's happened, we've found uh, with this uh, Zika virus, it's not necessarily the virus at the issue, it's the mosquitoes, because it is a mosquito-borne uh, illness, uh, you know, it's a bit like malaria yep. or dengue fever, where the mosquito bites you, infects you with the virus, and suddenly you've got it. It's a bit hard to detect because only one out of five people who suffer the illness show symptoms of it: right. red eyes, arthralgias, joint pains, mm. flu-like illnesses, fevers, headaches. The other four out of five, most are, uh, just have a mild cold. And what we're most and then they get over it. They get over it within oh. a week or two. You know. So there's no antibiotics, there's no treatment, there's no vaccine as yet, although uh, the World Health Thought, is, you know, WHO is working very hard in trying to get that together. But the problem is, it's not necessarily the virus that might infect you or me, Duck, but it's the problem with pregnant women, because yep. what it does, the virus crosses through into the baby's, uh, into the womb, uh, through the placenta, and affects the baby's neurological development, the brain, spinal yep. cord, and they get what's called microcephaly. So the head's quite small. They often die in infancy. Uh, they're mentally retarded, failure to thrive, etc. And also there's a, a small number who get uh, what we call Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is that uh, neurolo uh, neurological disorder where you get pins and needles and weakness. So what Clark um, I had? Elsie Clark's had two years ago. Spot on. So can it be passed on? Uh, the other discussion, or I'm not sure, has there been a direct link that it can be passed on through sperm? Hence the fact Jason Day saying uh, his beautiful wife Ellie, they want to have more children and that's his concern? Correct. Uh, the, the advice from the WHO is that uh, there should be precautions taken for up to six months if you suffer the illness. Right. And some people say up to six weeks even if you travel into a, a Zika-infected uh, area. So, uh, you know, it, it is uh, found in sperm. Um, it is not found in breast milk. So we're still finding out about this because the virus was only discovered back in the 40s and it was in monkeys in the deepest dark of uh, uh, darkest Africa. And it was in the Zika forest of Uganda. That's why it's called the Zika virus. Mm. But somehow it's sort of spread into the human population. And now with mosquitoes spreading out, and some people believe with globalisation, people travelling more, or due to global warming, that these mosquitoes, which normally stay in the tropics, are now spreading to areas which were not thought previously to be tropical. But with global warming, this is happening. There you go, the Zika the, forest in Uganda. I wasn't aware of that. That's amazing, isn't it? Hmm. Oh, and, and the fact that you're saying four out of five people, it's just it's just like a common cold. They get over it Very and they move on. Correct. Thanks, Doc. We appreciate your time. Good luck on the scooter. Uh, and we'll see you at the football. Are you actually coming to the football this Friday night or is it too cold still oh, I might get there, Howie, and uh, nice to see you wearing your footy gear. In fact, can I say one thing, Duck? At the MCC members where we actually sit, mm. they've got an A-frame which says what you can and what you cannot mm. wear. Howie's one of the examples of what you cannot wear, but he seems to get into that area without any problems whatsoever. Hello to all our thong-wearing friends in the MCC <laughs> members. Uh, Doc, we appreciate your time.
Duck, congratulations to the Australian Olympic Committee. A wonderful initiative that they're bringing to the Olympics for the first time tomorrow with the flag bearer announcement normally made a couple of days prior to the Games. It's actually going to happen tomorrow, 7.30 tomorrow morning at Federation Square in Melbourne. The public is welcome, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Well, you've already put your nomination in. I have put my nomination in of Anna Mears, um, Jamie Dwyer, the hockey player, lots of superstars, but some of the names, uh, Wayne Roycroft back in 84 in LA, uh, a question, Rick Charlesworth, Jenny Donnett, Andrew Hoyer, Andrew Gaze, Colin Beachel, James Tompkins in Beijing, and then last time around, Lauren Jackson in London in 2012, who will be there tomorrow morning, and he's on the line now, one of my favourite athletes of all time. Good morning, Lauren. Hi, how are you going? Fantastic to speak to you. As I said, just a great initiative by the AOC, even back at the last Olympics. When did you find out that you'd be getting what is probably the biggest honour in Australian sport? Yeah, uh, God, I, I found out about a week before um, the announcement was made, or five days or something, and oh gosh, it was the hardest five days of, <laughs> of my life, like keeping my mouth quiet, like shut, and it was hard. <laughs> what a great initiative it is that the public can see this announcement. I, it's a really great idea, I think, Lauren. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, you know, it's great um, involving Australia and, and get, getting it open to the public and, you know, because then everyone can celebrate it. Um, and also the person that is announced um, can celebrate it with the Australian public. So it's really, um, you know, I think it's great. Hey, Lauren, uh, saw your interview with Bruce McAvaney the other night on TV, got home from the footy, sat down, fascinating interview. Um, how did you enjoy talking to the great man? Oh, look, I... Um, you know, to be truthfully honest, it was about two weeks after I had my knee replacement done and um, I probably wasn't in the best frame of mind because I'd just retired as well, but I don't really remember too much about it and I still haven't watched it because I was a little bit afraid to watch it um, just because I, I didn't know what to expect and um, yeah, so I've heard it was um, emotional, <laughs> but was... I'm not really like that. I'm not an emotional person. So. No, it was fascinating. Great TV. and I thought uh, I thought you did a great job. Are you looking forward to going to Rio and actually commentating on a game that you absolutely dominated? And congratulations, recently being uh, named in the top 20 players of all time in the history of women's basketball. Quite an incredible in- achievement. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, no, it was Great. It was a great honour, obviously. Um, I'm heading back to America next week just to, um, you know, see all my fans and say goodbye to all my friends and family over there. So, um, but yeah, Rio, I'm actually commentating from Sydney, so I'm not actually going to Rio, but it'll be good. I'm really excited about it. Um, Yeah, it's a new chapter in my life, obviously, and I'm not sure how I'm going to be as a commentator, but... um, We'll see. <laughs> Lauren, you, you will be. Lauren, you will be an absolutely fantastic commentator. Oh, and I'll be tuning into the basketball just to listen to what you've got to say. A couple of questions for you. One on Andrew Bogut shortly. But before yeah. we get to that, what was it like walking out onto that stadium in London in front of the whole world? And I've got the picture here and you've got your white pencil skirt on and the, that magnificent green jacket and there's a big smile on your face and the Aussie flag. I, I can't imagine it gets much better for an Australian no. athlete. That was um, definitely the pinnacle of my, my career. I mean, on a personal level, um, obviously winning championships with your team is so much fun and everything, but that honour was just beyond anything that I, I could have imagined for myself. And um, yeah, it, it was um, very euphoric. I mean, walking out there, I just remember thinking, wow, this could be the last time I ever mm. you know, represent Australia. And it pretty much almost was. Um, and yeah, it was yeah very emotional. I still, again, I haven't watched it because I just don't want to, sort of go back to that place where I'm all emotional and everything like that. 
Lauren, one of the things that I took from that interview with Bruce, uh, clearly you've won uh, three Olympic silver medals. You've won a bronze medal. You said that you thought the girls were a massive chance to go gold uh, this year. Absolutely. Um, Look, they've got so much talent. And I think under Brandon Joyce's guidance and leadership, I think they definitely have... Um, an opportunity to do some pretty exciting things. And I mean, I think since Brendan came in to, to Basketball Australia and women's basketball, he um, has implemented all these new plays and things like that. And even the under-17 girls are running his plays and um, the things that he's, he's brought into the program and they won a world championship the other day. So I think that um, what he can do is, is pretty exciting and um, it's a different style of game for the women, um, for the Australian women, and I think they can compete with America for sure. We're speaking to absolute basketball superstar Lauren Jackson, who will be at the flag bearer announcement tomorrow, 7.30am, Federation Square in Melbourne. Get along and see who will be leading the Australian team into the stadium in Rio. Just as we let you go, Lauren, big news overnight. Kevin Durant has signed with the Golden State Warriors. There was discussions about how that would affect Andrew Bogut. Andrew's come out on social media a couple of hours ago talking about the fact that he can't wait to get to the Dallas Mavericks. So he's pretty much said that's what's happening. What are your thoughts on the move? Um, it's professional basketball is pretty um, exciting. You know, nothing's really stagnant. It's always evolving and, and teams are sort of picking up different players and things like that. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the offseason plays out, you know. Um, but, I mean, I personally, I, I think um, Andrew, he'll do what's best for him. And, yeah, I mean, you just watch it and enjoy it. It's entertainment, you know. It's great. What about the money that's going around, Lauren? Five-year, $170 million deal. It's, it's crazy stuff. Not often I say I wish I was a man, but um, <laughs> when it comes to money and sport, you um definitely a little bit envious of, of the men's sport. Um, But, yeah, it's insane. I mean, but that's the great thing about basketball, and hopefully you see that start to filter into the women's game a little bit. But it, it really is insane at the moment, and it is it is hard watching it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Hey, Lauren, we appreciate your time. As I said, tomorrow morning, 7.30, the public can get down there, have a chat with you and see who will be the flag bearer for the 2016 Rio Games. Thanks for your time. Love your work no as always. Thank you. See you guys. Great to speak to Lauren Jackson. What about her CV? Oh. It is just huge. She is she's elite. A, she's a superstar. And named top 20, I'm going number one for the WNBA. She dominated that competition, yeah. one MVP, title. Three, three uh, MVPs, two-time champion, finals MVP, only international winner of the finals MVP. So she's done it all. She certainly has. I think she sound, liked the sound of the $150 million too for the fellas as well. As always, the Herald Sun all over the big story in Melbourne this morning. Ice smashed 275 kilos seized yesterday. And the man to explain it all to us, the associate editor of the Herald Sun, Andrew Rule, is in. Hello, Ruler. Hello, boys. We're back again. Oh, we yep. are. Gee, big morning out there in the uh, police world. How do they know about these things beforehand? Well, tell, tell us what happened. I've, um, information received. Right. I believe that a mid, mid-month, mid uh, the authorities have got a tip-off tip that... Um, there might be some stuff coming in. I think they had a little, they tipped off the border protection fellows or border force as we now call them. Mm. And they had a bit of a look in this container. I'm intrigued to see that they said it was under the floorboards of the container. Yeah. I didn't know containers had floorboards. <laughs> anyway, apparently this one had some sort of flooring and underneath the flooring was many, 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 many packets, 275 one kilo packets containing a uh, crystal substance, which... I, the, they believe is ice. 
It's a remarkable story. How many, and this is an impossible question to answer, this is a tip-off. How many of these containers do come through that no one knows about? Oh, well, that's a good point. Yeah. And there are those that will suggest that for this tip-offs to tip off one container. Meanwhile, right. others are coming through elsewhere. That could be just mischievous, but it, it surely does happen that... They say, look, at we've got Mark Smith coming through yep. uh, Tuller. There and then, and yeah. meanwhile, uh, you know, a- Andrew Smith has um, got a bigger lot of stuff going through elsewhere at the same airport. Do the police celebrate? They should. It's a fantastic result for Big them. Result, do, yeah. do they get out and have a couple of beers and say, well, well it's worked yeah, for us? Yeah, they do. But, um, and, and, of course, it's a good result. But has the price of ice gone uh, up as a result of this? I don't process? know. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah, Not, right. What else is going on? Well, uh, glad you asked, because there's the other, oh, there's a couple of good stories around. Oh, I love uh, how he sets these stories up. Mm. Well, we, Duck and I were talking well, about, we look forward to you coming, well, you just sort of shape up and you, you've you got that mysterious tone to your voice, <laughs> I like it. Bit of a twitch. Yeah, just it's a bit of mystery about it. Bit, bit of mystery. Well, Terry blew it. You, Terry's the bloke who, who did blow it because uh, he was getting <laughs> driven around by his girlfriend to meet various nefarious characters. Uh, this is after... The death of uh, Graham the Munster Kinneborough back in 2003. In the intervening months after that, uh, before his own disappearance, he would get his girlfriend to drive him and drop him off at certain pubs and he would go and talk to certain individuals. And the girlfriend is suggesting, although she didn't go and actually have a look, but she's now suggesting that he was meeting Carl Williams and other fellows. And um, she said the last time she saw him was in April 2004. This is, what, five months after Kinneborough was shot dead in Kew. Mm. He said, take me over to Melton, drop me off outside this milk bar. And he said, when you drop me off, just look straight ahead and keep driving. Don't go looking. But she did happen to notice, although she was looking straight ahead, that he got into, a, I think, a green Hyundai. Right. And uh, it was the last she ever saw of him. He wow. never came back because he got into... That car allegedly with a co-offender, who and then suffered a nasty accident because um, he was never seen again until his remains, as Rosie was mentioning to me earlier, were dug up in Thomastown early this year. <laughs> so somehow he got from the green Hyundai Melton to uh, six foot under, literally six foot under, out at Thomastown. I think they must have used a uh, backhoe. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't think crooks had used a pick and shovel. Talking about the bizarre yeah. stories, um, well, I was listening on the news this morning at ridiculous o'clock, and there was reports coming out of West Australia that a, a body was found in a suitcase. Was it in the Swan yes. River? It's horrific. A small woman of uh, Asian appearance, wearing a t-shirt, I think, from Disney World in Tokyo. She's about fifty-nine kilos, one hundred and fifty-eight centimeters tall, so she's not overly big. Uh, she's been found in a suitcase. Do you want me to guess? what her occupation possibly was. And this is an absolute guess. I have no knowledge. Mm, Uh, My wild guess is she will be mixed up somehow in some racket such as the sex industry. Right. And that she's fallen foul of somebody and they've chucked her in the river. That's my guess. I doubt she's working for the Salvos. Well, how do you go dealing with these people that are genuinely bad? Most of us in general life, Duck, we don't deal with people that are genuinely bad. Black of heart. No. Well, I work in newspapers. Well, that's true. I can, I've had a few editors. <laughs> a salient that point you off. make. And I, I reckon Duck's seen a few around football. Yeah, I guess. Some of the managers. Yeah. No. This is a, a whole other level of bad, though, yeah. isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, look, it is evil stuff. When you think of people who will 
kill other helpless human beings mm. just for money. The little girl found in the suitcase in South Australia yeah. and her mother. They have been murdered for what? What? So they could pick up a dull checks and spend it. Mm. You're kidding. Well, that's what they've, I mean by They've black slaughtered apart. a child merely to tidy up a loose end. They've driven someone, we don't know who, because there's a man charged and he will have to face court and he might be found not guilty. But someone has driven that little girl's mother, the South Australian one, not the Perth one, to the Blanglow State Forest and distributed her, her bones or her body there in order to muddy the waters. Um, but later the truth came out that what had happened. And that a person or persons has killed a little three-year-old girl just to sort of tidy up a, a loose end. Now, that is truly evil. Can we finish on a good note? Well, I want to... I, <laughs> good, yes. Duck, good. Yes, we can. I want to know about robber's dogs, Doug. Robber's now, dogs. It comes to mind that um, a lot of knockabouts and hard men and people I know have had a very well, soft, soft spot well, they for them. Uh, they don't have chihuahuas. <laughs> well, most of them don't. <laughs> Billy Longley. Now, Billy Longley was a very interesting man. I think he was the last... I tell you what, they don't, have, you, they don't have beagles. I know they, that. They don't have beagles. No. <laughs> Oh, good point. No, they don't know. They, well, they certainly they're a bit don't. nosy. Yeah. <laughs> they get a bit nosy. Yes. Jeez, the dogs will be on high alert every time you well, woke up in the morning. Maybe. I'm onto it. I'm onto it. Maybe yeah. they should have beagles. Yeah. If you could fool your own beagle. Yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. There's a thought there. They'll be taking, they'll be, there'll be a lot of beagle theft this week. Billy Longley had a, uh, tell me what he had. What sort of dog did Billy Longley have? Billy oh, Longley. Uh, one of those pig dog type setups. He had a, uh, an, a pedigree English Mastiff. Right, there you go. Same called same. Boof. Boof. And Boof was a pedigree show dog. But Boof did have some trams and trains because Billy uh, had a few problems with other members of the Painters and Dockers who were a bit inclined to want to shoot Billy. <laughs> and Billy looked out. The, he was a very astute man, Billy. One of the coolest, calmest people I've ever met, Bill Longley. Even as an old man, he was quite scary. And uh, he looked out the window of his little house in Port Melbourne, and he could see Boof in the backyard looking intently at the roof. And he thought, either there's a possum up there or a seagull or somebody I don't want to see. So Billy got his shotgun and he sneaked out quietly and he looked on the roof and there was another bloke with a shotgun on the roof waiting for Bill. Really? And the dog had pointed him like a pointer and warned him and Bill was able to persuade the fellow to come down. Without anybody being shot, I think. See, your poodle doesn't do that type your of thing. Poodle, well, well, no, no. Well a good, po- a good a poodle well might, but anyway, <laughs> Boof saved Billy. And um, a lot of your hard men have had a good dog, and I'm very interested in that subject. I think it's a very good story, mm. Robber's Dogs. Could be a good mm. book. Was it a pub once? Wasn't it a pub in Richmond, the Robber's, robber's dog? dog? Something like well, that. He, hence the saying, a head like a robber's yeah, dog. Yeah, Ruler, we appreciate right. you coming and filling us in. and um, Which I have. Yeah, you've done well. We might need to lighten it up a bit next, Duck. But uh, Mark, our Wayne Carey, that was Andrew Rule. Well, kicked it to Johannesson. Johannesson's marked. So the 23-year-old to put the dogs in front. He kicks it. He's kicked it. The dogs are in front. Triple M's winter breakfast, Mark Howard and Wayne Carey. The Bulldogs once again recording a remarkable win over the Sydney Swans at the G. Well, I reckon it was the start of when we all stood up and took notice of the Bulldogs last year when they beat Sydney at the SCG, and then they've repeated the dose this year. It was a remarkable win. It was, and one of their stars is on the line now, and we uh, wish him a good morning, Liam Pickham. G'day, Liam. 
G'day, thanks for having me on. Oh, great to have you on. Uh, a couple of times you've gone up there now, and they've both been wonderful wins for your footy club. Uh, I was watching the game, and I thought, right, Bont's going to have to kick this from 52, and then he passed it off, which was courageous in itself, Liam. Yeah, it was. Lucky enough, I was pretty happy JJ had the ball, so I had me goal kicking during the week with JJ. So he's probably one of the best kicks at the club, so it was great when the ball was in his hands. What type of lift does it give the footy club when you have a win like that? You've gone up there, buddies play well, he's kicked five, they're on their home turf, people are talking about them as premiership favourites, and you come away in a season where it's really hard to win uh, away from your home ground with the four points. Yeah, it was. Um, it was great to get up there, and it's great to you know bond together for a couple of days up there. So it uh, gave us a big lift, and um, you know um, probably didn't expect to win up there, so it's great to be able to snatch that one. Liam, I'm a subscriber to thinking that you guys are the best quick hand side in the competition. It was a quick hand by Wallace, Caleb Daniel, footy brain, short chip kick to uh, the Bonton Pelly. You're just so sharp in and around the footy, and that's one area. I know you're taking on a very accomplished midfield, very strong midfield, but you just back it up week after week. Yeah, I reckon probably there's probably 10 or 11 guys that go through the middle there, so... Um, one of the big things is quick hands, and I think that um, helps us on the weekend, especially we've got so many you know, smaller fellas like Caleb Daniels in the side, so um, that really helped us against Sydney. Now, uh, everyone's talking about Bob Murphy. We discussed it last night on Talking Footy. There's a chance that he may come back. How's he training, and do you think that that is a possibility? Oh, I wouldn't have a clue, to be honest, but um, he's moving really well, so... Um, I joked the other day, he's, he, he might have had Lars um, and not told anyone, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but he's uh, he's moving great around the club. It'd be great to have him back. So when he does come back, um, he's going to give us a big boost. Now, you know that I'm turning into a real journo when I uh, oh. start asking about uh, the big fella, Tom, Tommy Boyd. Played really well in the VFL, kicked four. It's a good way to respond when, uh, when you have something like that going on. Uh, the underlying thing for me, Liam is not necessarily what happened. Clearly, if they were having a few beers and they weren't meant to, then fair enough, you you cop your fine and you move on. But in terms of if two players have a disagreement, I think, you know, that should be sorted out between them. But it's the underlying comments that we're hearing that were made to Tom that would be the concern for me. You know, comments like, oh, you're getting paid too much money, you're playing in the VFL. Is there any truth behind any of that? No, not really. Um, no one really talks about it or anything like that. So, um, you know, Tommy made a mistake and him and Zane are um, really good mates. So um, they sort of moved on. Uh, nothing like that gets brought up and um, you don't even worry a lot about that sort of stuff when you play football. Liam Picken is with us. Western Bulldogs have hit their membership record for the second year running thanks to their loyal members. If you're yet to sign up, call 1300-GO-DOGS and help them get to 40,000 in 2016. Currently only 900 short of that. Liam, why are you better this year than last year? You obviously lost the first final. Um, you've, you've had your injuries this year. Certainly your depth has been tested. You've stood up to that. But why are you better? And do you think if you're going to go all the way, do you need to kick more goals? Do you need to find a way to kick two or three more each week? Yeah, I suppose that's probably, um, you know, a big thing that we've probably been working on the last few weeks. So um, hopefully it comes. We've been building um, on the weekend. Um, you know, there's an improvement. Um, but in saying that, we're still still a young group and still improving every week. So... I just think it's going to click soon, and, and when it does, um, we'll be a lot better side. 
that's that's just only one part. So um, we've got you know better depth, like you said, and um, there's, there's so many young guys that you know they've had extra year experience under Bevo. So um, hopefully towards the back end um, we start picking it up. Liam, is life as a non-tagger more fun? Is it more fun to play footy playing your own game than having to stress about someone else the whole time? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know when you run around following someone for a whole game. Um, it's not much fun, but, you know, you just do what the coach says. So um, it's great to be able to run out there and, and just play football again. Is it disappointing that the coach has bigger muscles than you? Uh, yeah, you could probably say that. Well, he has bigger <laughs> muscles than you too, Hal. Well, he does. He has bigger muscles than everyone. He's built like an oh, absolute... Well, oh, he, to speak for yourself. He's a, he's a big, big man. Just finally, Liam, uh, how old are your kids? You've got three under... Uh, five. How's that tracking for you? Great, man. Um, it's going well. So I've got little boys, five, so he's kicking the football a bit now. And I've um, uh, got twin girls who are three. So, um, yeah, it's, it's good to come home for football and have a bit of fun with them. Are you done, mate? Or maybe another set of twins get you up to five and then really push on into uncharted territory? Or are you done with three? <laughs> oh, I'm definitely done. Yeah, <laughs> definitely done. Hey, Liam, we appreciate your time. 1,300 Go Dogs join up with a membership. Best of luck this Saturday night against the Richmond Footy Club. Thanks for having me on. Great to speak to Liam Pickin, a man who, under Brendan McCartney, played that tagging role, reinvented. Very important player to the Bulldogs. I love him. I love his hardness. Yeah, he, yep. and he's a, he's a good chap, and he's got twins. So They're good, all hard. Good luck to them. All, they the, are. all these young Bulldogs are hard. And exciting. Lockie Hunter. Yep. How good's Lockie Hunter? Oh, he's a gun. He is a gun. The big story continuing around this morning, we're about to cross the Bay Area in San Francisco to get the update on the fact that the shock transfer of superstar Kevin Durant to Golden State Warriors means Andrew Bogut is off elsewhere to the He's Mavericks. Gonski. Well, he has, uh, and the AFL boys that love their NBA, all sorts of tweets here. Tom Hawkins, wow, Kevin Durant off to Golden State Warriors. If it works, their new 73-9 record is in danger. Wonder if this affects their roster, which relates exactly to Andrew Bogut. Dane Swan, Golden State may be a pretty solid team next year. Christian Petrarca, what the hell just happened at KD Trade 5? I'm so upset. So the boys love their hoops, don't they? Yeah, they do. Uh, and all of those guys. Well, Petrarca apparently was a gun uh, basketballer. Could dunk it. Not sure about Swanee. No, I'm not sure about Swanee. I don't sure think he could dunk. dunk. No, he's not exactly the mod Michael Jordan. Absolute disease, superstar footballer, but no dunker. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> no. Maybe <laughs> donuts. Maybe dunk a couple of donuts. <laughs> we'll cross the Bay Area, San Francisco next. You've been quite funny this morning for you. Duck, if a player leaves Club A to join Club B in the AFL, it's normally, oh, I just needed a change or change of scene, etc. Just let me read you a paragraph from Kevin Durant's letter explaining why he is leaving OKC to go to the Bay Area of San Francisco. The primary mandate I had for myself, said Durant, in making this decision was to have it based on the potential of my growth as a player. He goes on, but I'm also at the point in my life where it is of equal importance to find an opportunity that encourages my evolution as a man moving out of my comfort zone to a new city and community which offers the greatest potential for my contribution and personal growth. It's a good letter, isn't it? All right, let's go and find out exactly what's occurring with our man. He's very, very good to us on the Dead Set Legends. He's now going to have a chat with us on Winter Breakfast. He is in charge of 95.7, the game in the Bay Area of San Francisco. His name is Joe Fortenbauer. G'day, Joe. Gentlemen, how are you this morning? Great to speak to you. We'll get to how all this plays out with our man, Andrew Bogut. But firstly, explain the decision behind the move of Kevin Durant and what the reaction has been like from both sides of the coin. 
Well, now so more than ever before, the NBA players who are entering free agency are getting paid, and they are getting paid in a big way. If you've noticed the deals that have been signed since last week, you have a lot of mid-level to slightly below-average type players making unbelievable amounts of money. Now, that's all thanks to the new TV deals that are kicking in, which raise the salary cap. The salary cap jumped from about $70 million to $94 million this year, and it's going to jump again to about $110 million next year. So the guys who were lucky enough to put themselves in a position to enter free agency this year and next year are going to get paid, and that's what we're seeing. But for an individual like Kevin Durant, he's already made a ton of money. And not only that, he's got a two or $300 million deal with Nike, so he's taken care of. More and more, we're starting to see this in the NBA now, and it started with LeBron James when he originally left Cleveland. These guys want rings. And you can say anything you want about, well, he had to chase a championship, he had to go form it with another team. BS, man. The only thing that matters at the end of the day is if you've got a ring, because if you don't end up winning, that's going to stick with you forever. They'll always talk about how you never won a ring. Now, there are a lot of people, especially everyone here in the Bay Area, who love this decision. They love it because it makes the Warriors even more exciting to watch, which who knew if that was even possible after what we've seen the last two years. So people are very excited about the possibilities of what they can see from this team, but there is a good segment of the population who is really hating on Kevin Durant. They say he's chasing the rings, he can't get it done on his own, blah, 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 and they're taking shots at him. But the way I see it, he spent nine years with that franchise, he gave him everything thing he had and it was time for him to make a decision that was best for him and if he chooses golden state best for him man the guy is a leader he's a face of the nba he never gets in trouble people should be happy for him here, here, Joe. Uh, I tell you what, we've got to get up like you in the mornings. You are up and about. It's fantastic. With all of this new money in the game, who will be the highest paid player in the uh, in the league next year? Well, it's going to change every single year. It's all going to depend on free agency. So next year, uh, it looks like Steph Curry will probably be that guy. He will get a max deal up around $160 million or so for about five years is what I believe the numbers dictate now. Um, Again, Kevin Durant signed a one-year deal with an opt-out, which is what he'll do to get more money. So he'll get paid about $25 million this year. He'll opt out next summer, and then he can sign a four-year deal for somewhere around $130 million, I believe. Uh, Russell Westbrook will also be a free agent next year, and if he chooses to leave Oklahoma City, he'll make a significant amount of money. But the reality is you can only make the most staying with the team that has you. The way the salary cap is set up, if you stay, you make more. Durant gave up essentially close to $50 million leaving to go to Golden State. If all things played out his way, uh, take a one-year deal this year, then a five-year deal with the Thunder next year, he gave up about $53 million to make this decision and go to Golden State in the long run. So it'll probably be Steph Curry next year, but remember, LeBron James will also be entering free agency again, so he'll be right up there as well. What does all this mean, Joe, to our man Andrew Bogut? Well, unfortunately for Bogut, who is a fan favorite here in the Bay, he's going to be moving on. In order to clear the necessary cap space, the Warriors had to make some tough decisions. So first one out the door is Harrison Barnes. Barnes had a four-year, $64 million contract from the Warriors on the table last offseason. He turned it down, and that was the smart decision because he knew guys were going to get paid 
this summer. He will be signing with the Dallas Mavericks, it looks like. They offered him a max deal of about four, four years for $94 million. So he looks to be going to Dallas, although we'll see if another team comes into play uh, sometime between now and July 7th. As for Andrew Bogut, his cap number of about $11 million has to go as well. He's going to be traded to the Dallas Mavericks. The two sides are working on a deal as we speak. They should finalize something in the next day or so. But Barnes and Bogut both heading to Dallas to play with Dirk Nowitzki. Joe, your summation was absolutely fantastic. It was upbeat. It's got us ready to go. Thanks for your time as always. We absolutely love your work. Guys, always a pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me on. Great to speak to Joe Fortenbaugh. I told you at about about. 6.30 this morning we would never get a job on American radio because we're not even getting a run in the VFA. Compared to the AFL. They're up, aren't they? They are that much better than us, Duck. It's not funny. <laughs> a lot of people coming on the show tomorrow. Tom Carroll, a big wave rider, but also is heavily involved in this shark uh, shield situation. I don't know if you saw it on 60 Minutes. You basically plug it onto the bottom of your board, and apparently it keeps the sharks away. Mm. So we'll have a chat with him. Keith Moore to tell us all about his new book, which is related to, remember when they found all those ecstasy tablets in the tomato Mom cans? Hands, yep. Keith will come on. The flag bearer. Uh, which is really something to look forward to because that will be announced at 8 o'clock tomorrow and morning. And do you think it'll be Anna Mears? I hope it's Anna Mears. Mm. I hope it's Anna Mears. She's a multiple Olympian, multiple gold medalist, uh, broken back, all sorts of backstories, um, a champion athlete, champion lady. So hopefully it goes her way. Later on in the week, Joey Montagna, Jonathan LaPaglia, who's heading up uh, Survivor for Channel 10. Are you a fan of the Survivor yeah, show? Yeah, watch it. They've yep. gone to Samoa, so it's the first time it'll be on mm. 10 Australian Survivor. And Diesel is coming to Duck's desk to play some music. Johnny Diesel. Yeah. Does he bring the injectors, Rosie? Or is that... I think the injectors are having a bit of a holiday, but okay. uh, he'll be in um, playing. Oh, I don't know. No, I think he's on his own, actually. Okay. So yeah. no injectors? No. Okay. All right. I used to like Johnny Diesel and the yeah. injectors. Don't you Great know? Name. Crying shame, etc. All right. Like Nick um, Barker and the reptiles. That's exactly right. Um, Duck, you've been exceptional today. All right. Uh, Rosie, you've been wonderful. Been okay. Um, well, as have I. It's close to nine o'clock, heading to a top of 12 degrees. We'll be back tomorrow from six, Duck, will we? Yep. Is that still the plan? Yep. All right. This has been Winter <laughs> Breakfast on Triple M.